Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out and listen to a few calls. I have a great show lined up for you. A nice mixture of calls and I cannot wait to get to them. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone out there to check out Cryptid Crate. For those unfamiliar, Cryptid Crate is the first and only monthly subscription service designed for fans of cryptozoology. Each month, subscribers receive at least four items, carefully curated by me. What can you expect to find in your crate? Shirts, hats, socks, DVD documentaries and features, books, collectibles, and a slew of other sundries sure to please any Bigfoot backer, lake monster lover, or dogman devotee. If you like what you hear, take a moment and check out cryptidcrate.com to order yours today. Alright, it's time to get this show on the road. I am not a terribly organized person. I do my best to put things in a designated space, and I try to keep tidy, but typically I'm in a big rush and kind of put all that to the wayside. The same goes for this podcast. When calls and stories come in, I do my best to go over them, determine the subject matter, and file them away accordingly. Well, it never fails that every once in a while I'll receive a submission that I do not have a home for. You see, each Bigfoot call goes into the Bigfoot file. Each ghost story has its own ghost file, and so on. But these outside-the-box calls all find their way into a folder simply titled Fringe. It's in the Fringe file that you can find strange encounters with a monster made of clouds, or a giant spider with a human face. So tonight I thought I'd dust off some of these stories and feature them in their very own episode. An episode with no theme other than the fact that each story has no real theme. So in other words, stories from the fringe. Our first call of the evening lives up to the fringe moniker. It was submitted by an anonymous caller from the state of Pennsylvania. Here is that call.
In the summer between high school and college, I was living with my parents in a ranch-style house in rural Pennsylvania. One particularly hot evening, I awoke to what I thought was a girl's voice outside my window. I sat up and listened, but didn't hear it again until I put my head back down. Then, plain as day, I heard it, although I couldn't make out what was being said. I looked out the window, but didn't see anything. Then, I distinctly heard my name in a young female's voice. I wasn't sure what girl would be calling to me. There were a couple of possibilities, but it seemed hard to believe anyone would come around in the middle of the night. I was concerned that my parents would wake up, since they were in the adjacent bedroom, so I got up, threw on a pair of shorts, and went to the living room and stood outside the door. I asked, who are you, where are you, etc. We're down here, Bill, came the voice again still somewhat distant. I went back in and grabbed some flip-flops. My intention was to go see what this girl or group wanted. They had no reason to be there, and I was afraid that they would be drunk and my father would find out about it. So I aimed to show them politely off the property. Upon going outside, I heard giggles and laughs coming from the backyard, which was sparsely populated with a few trees and bordered on a hardwood forest. I made my way by moonlight, following the laughs to the wood line. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I called into the woods asking them to leave, that my dad would be pissed, to call me next time, whatever. The girl's voice came back, okay, we'll go. But first, I want to show you something. I said, okay, where are you? Over here by the creek. So I started into the woods feeling very uneasy. I couldn't quite recognize the voice, and they never responded with their name. Every step toward the creek caused me more and more trepidation. I finally told her, or them, look, I'm heading back up. Please just leave and call me in the morning. You can show me whatever it is then. I turned around and started leaving, and that's when things got really strange. The voice immediately seemed very near, maybe ten yards, and said, I know such and such. Now, such and such is actually a secret I have been keeping for a few years and have never told anyone, nor will I share it to anyone ever. Not a soul knows about this but myself. I was instantly mortified. I promise I won't tell. Just come to the edge of the creek with me, said the voice, still nearby, as was the edge of the creek. I actually did turn around and took a step toward the creek, if only to see who it was that knew my secret. But something inside of me knew that this was beyond messed up. I have to stress again that it would be very out of character for any of my friends to randomly show up at my house in the middle of the night. The voice was on the cusp of recognition, like verbal deja vu, and always managed to stay just far enough ahead of me to stay out of sight, and yet made no sounds through the woods. Add to this the fact that it knew something about me that nobody could possibly know, and I knew this was a paranormal event. Something had drawn me out of my bed in the middle of the night and into the woods. I felt like a bug walking into a spider web. 
The fear of the mystery was greater than my fear of being found out, so I made my way swiftly back to my house, not daring to look behind me. There were no more voices after that. I sat awake for the rest of the night and was paranoid for weeks after that someone was going to confront me with my revealed secret. I have never been able to convince myself that it was me sleepwalking or dreaming, though I would love for that to be the case. That was 20 years ago or more, and I still have not gone back into the woods behind my parents' house. I have no explanation, but over the years, I've heard legends of similar events that have been attributed to fairies. I have never seen a fairy. Thanks for giving me an outlet. Thank you, caller. If there's anything I know about stories like this, it's that you made the right choice by deciding to turn back. There are countless legends of entities beckoning victims to their death by calling their name and enchanting them. In addition to fairies, mermaids, sirens, and even the infamous Puckwudgie from Massachusetts' Bridgewater Triangle have also been rumored to behave in the same manner. Perhaps there's more to be said about the reason this cautionary story even exists, rather than who, or what, is luring innocents to their deaths. Thank you for sharing your encounter. If I'm honest, I never imagined a fairy-themed story making its way onto the show, but I'm glad that it did. Our next submission comes to us from the land down under. This is Brad's encounter with something strange in the sky. Hi, Derek. I've been following your podcast from the start, and I really love the format you have going. Anyway, this is my story of the strange and bizarre. It happened in an inner-city suburb of Melbourne, Australia, on February 3rd of 2017. I'd been visiting friends in the city, and after noticing how late it was, I decided to head back to my property in the country and call it a night. Taking a shortcut to the highway, I was stopped by a red traffic light. Nothing particularly odd about the situation apart from the lack of other cars on the road, but it was 3 a.m. after all. So I was just sitting patiently talking to my trusty border collie when I was struck to see a flying, humanoid-shaped creature fly straight in front of the car and land in an industrial site's doorway. Witnessing my dog's reaction to the humanoid filled me with a sense of fear and dread I'd never felt before. My dog was so frightened it leapt across the cab of my truck and into my lap, shaking and cowering in fear. I tried to get a better look at this thing, but it seemed to shrink into the shadows of the doorway and just vanish. It was at this point I realized my dog was still petrified, and I admit that I started to feel a mighty bit uncomfortable myself. So I prepared to leave and continued on my way as soon as the light went green. It was just as I was pulling away that I got a glimpse of the darkest red eyes that I'd ever seen. And quite honestly, that got me moving pretty damn quickly. I have looked everywhere for some information on what this could have been, but as of yet, found nothing conclusive. I'm a cattle farmer, and the dog of mine has followed me into some pretty dangerous positions, without hesitation. So what caused her reaction of complete terror? 
Are these things demons? Creatures from another planet? I'm afraid I haven't found the answers, but one thing is for sure. There's been nothing on this earth that has filled me or my loyal dog with such fear and panic in all of my 44 years. Thank you for allowing me to share my experience. Love your show and look forward to many more to come. Regards, Brad. Thank you, Brad. I would have filed this story under my Mothman file if Brad had mentioned the Mothman in his description. But I'm sure, being a listener to this show, Brad is familiar with the Mothman and what it looks like, so I imagine he would have drawn that parallel himself. That does not stop me from drawing that conclusion, however. The description fits pretty well. A creature in flight, humanoid, red eyes, and even the reaction of the dog. It all correlates with the now-famous descriptions given by the Mothman witnesses. It's very strange, to say the least. As we know with the Mothman stories, the events peaked in the collapse of the Silver Bridge 13 months after the initial sightings occurred. Hopefully, for Melbourne's sake, the comparisons end with the descriptions. Thanks again for sharing your encounter all the way from Australia. Our next story is not quite a UFO story in the traditional sense, which is why it found its way into the Fringe File. This is Joe's story from California. Hi Derek, this is Joe from California, and uh, I recently started listening to your podcast, and I like it a lot. I listen to a ton of podcasts, and actually last week I started listening it's May 12th today, and uh, you're on the top of my list of first to download. But um, real quick, uh, my dad lives in Oregon, and he's not the type to talk about cryptids or uh, even think about it. Like, if I talk to him about it, he just laughs. But um, recently, he told me, and uh, almost like he was embarrassed, but, uh, and he said he hadn't told anybody else, but he saw on one of the ridges out by his ranch in the middle of nowhere, um, a large bird flying in circles, like the size of a single engine airplane. And, uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And, uh, my other stories are, um, when I was a kid in Santa Rosa, California, I'd been mountain biking all day with a friend and we stopped to take a break and I was laying on top of a picnic bench, staring at the sky, and I saw a little tiny silver football, and it was slowly moving east. And uh, I tried to point out to my friend, but he had bad eyes and he couldn't see it. And I could tell it was moving east because there was a tree branch for reference. And we were talking, and I kind of lost track of it and stopped looking at it. and whatever and then I remembered it and I started looking for it again and I couldn't it was so small I couldn't see it right away and finally when I locked eyes on it it shot off north like the second I locked eyes on it and that was a weird thing and uh, that's all I got for now Um, I love your podcast keep up the good work and have a good evening Thank you, Joe. First, I'll address the giant bird sighting your father had. Since I moved to the mountains, I've been doing a lot of fishing, and in my local area, there are several breeding pair of bald eagles. 
Just the other day, I was fishing when a pair of eagles appeared overhead. Like anyone would do, I stopped fishing and watched in awe. They seemed huge, so big that I wondered how they even got off the ground. Now, put this into perspective. A bald eagle's wingspan averages somewhere around 7 feet. But it's not even the largest bird in these parts. No, the California condor's wingspan is nearly 10 feet. And anyone that has tried can tell you that it's very difficult to judge a flying object's distance and size from the ground. So, not to take away from his sighting, but perhaps that one could be explained. Your silver football, on the other hand, that's a little harder to write off. I suppose it's possible for a silver balloon to travel across the sky. There are even silver football-shaped balloons available in stores. But I cannot imagine a way that a floating balloon could make a 90-degree turn and continue on that path. Even with the perfect wind conditions, I feel it would be very difficult to achieve. So that leads me thinking what Joe's thinking. What was that thing? Thank you again, Joe, for taking the time to share your story. The next submission may require a bit of a definition. Just in case someone out there listening has not yet heard of the term, doppelganger is a ghostly double or counterpart of a living person. Now, here's that story. Hello. I used to work evening shift at a hotel in New Mexico. It was a fairly busy property with 300 rooms that stayed mostly full throughout the year. Most of our guests were tourists who were here to see what the city had to offer. It wasn't unusual for guests to stay a full week with us. Every now and then, someone would say they'd seen me somewhere downtown. Now I live clear across the city from downtown and I rarely ever visit. I brushed this off as them seeing some other native girl in glasses and not being able to tell us apart. My glasses are distinctive and I have several facial piercings as well. So I think I'm recognizable enough, but guests got my coworkers and I confused all the time. And there's a full foot difference in our height. So that was the easiest explanation as to why people were getting confused. But it escalated from once a month to once a week to several times a week. Several guests would say they'd seen me in places that weren't possible. They'd say they saw me downtown while I was at work or asleep or even out of town. It made no sense. Sightings of this other me would die down for a while, only to start up again. I had a whole span of eight weeks of peace before the sightings would happen again. Most often, they saw this other version of me at a popular bar downtown that I'd never even been to. Second most common sighting was her working at the community college bookstore. I was very tempted to stop by and see if I saw her there, but when someone meets their doppelganger, something bad happens. Isn't that how that works? Plus... What would I have done? Found a manager and said, Good afternoon, do you have an employee that looks exactly like me? I just didn't see a way I could approach this without sounding totally crazy. The worst incident I got almost got me written up. We had a film crew staying with us for over a month. They were all very cool and had great stories and they loved the bars. I was chatting with one of these guests at the front desk when suddenly he asks, Hey, why did you ignore me at the bar the other day? I didn't know what he was talking about. I hadn't been to that bar in months, but he insisted that he saw me and went over to talk to me and apparently I ignored him. I told him I hadn't been there and I told him that people had been seeing another me running around town. He got pretty upset about it and actually complained to my manager about me lying to him. 
This story actually doesn't have a resolution. I left hotels and I don't work with the general public anymore. Anyway, it's really creepy to look back on. Thank you for your submission. Like you said, I suppose these instances could be dismissed as coincidence, but with the frequency that the sightings took place, that would be quite the stretch. Thank you so much for sharing your strange account. Our final story of the night is delivered via a familiar voice. Bonnie, whom we heard from in last week's episode, has a story that's difficult to put a finger on. Here is Bonnie's call. Hi Derek, this is Bonnie. I have another story to share that happened in California. This was about in probably 1995 or 96. And I was actually living in Oregon at the time and my husband and I had a almost four-year-old and almost one-year-old. And his mother in California passed away. So we had traveled from Portland down to the Sacramento area again to attend the funeral. Well, my husband's family is from the Philippines and they are very, very devout Catholic. As a matter of fact, my mother-in-law that had passed away, her brother was a priest. So we were all down there for the funeral and of course it was very emotional and uh, the funeral is very traditional. And one of the things that I had never heard of that after the funeral they were going to do was to conduct what was called a novena in the home. And it's something along the lines that for seven or eight days there's a set time that you gather together and pray the rosary and it isn't until after the last night that the spirit of the deceased loved one ascends to heaven. So this was all new to me. So we attended the funeral and then that night they started the uh, process of the novena and friends and family came and they held it in the living room of their home, their you know family home and we had been there for probably three or four three about three nights at this point and I sat through I think two nights of the novena and having two small children this whole thing was just so exhausting So on the third night of the novena, I told my husband that instead of staying up late and sitting through the rosary again, I was going to take the kids and go ahead and go to bed. So I took the children and we went to, you know, one bedroom in the house that we were all, the kids and I and my husband were sleeping in. And I got the kids ready for bed and tucked in and the lights were out and the door was closed. And just as I had gotten myself in bed and laid back, I noticed that there were all these uh, lights on the ceiling, uh, like little tiny pinpoints, almost like what I would say would be like a diamond, kind of silvery white, and just little pinpoints of light. And the whole ceiling from corner to corner was uh, gleaming, I guess, with these little pinpoints of light. And the lights weren't flickering or flashing, but the whole the whole mass of it together seemed to kind of swirl and eddy, almost like liquid or water. 
and I pulled the cover over my head and I was like, oh my God, what's that? And then I was thinking, okay, don't be ridiculous. There's got to be something on in here. So I uncovered my face. I looked around the room and like I said, we'd already been there three or four nights. So we'd slept in the same room and I hadn't seen this before. So I thought, well, it has to be something maybe coming in from the window. And where this window was, it was at the side of the house, and the yards there were really, really small. So it was so close to the next house, I thought, well, maybe they're having a party or a disco or something going on in the yard next door. So I went to look out the window, which was right above the head of the bed, and I realized that there was like two or three layers of curtains on the window like there was the outer curtain that was a thick fabric so I moved that to the side and then underneath that there was either one of those like vinyl pull down shades or a kind of vertical blind and it was inside the window frame and it was closed tight so I pulled both of those apart and I looked outside and all I could see was complete and total darkness so I couldn't see that it was coming from anywhere outside the window So I was like, okay, well, that's just kind of weird. So I laid back down in the bed, and again, uh, looking at the ceiling, these lights are all still there, swirling and moving around, and I was really trying to figure out what it might be. So I probably spent one or two minutes just trying to kind of figure out what it might be, and my little son was not sleeping. He was in a sleeping bag next to the bed. And so I called out. I said, son? He said, yes. And I said, do you see something? And he said, yes. I said, what do you see? And he said, lights. I'm like, oh, my God, get in the bed. And I pulled the covers over both of our heads and was just paralyzed with fear. I could not get myself to jump out of the bed and run to the door. Plus, Novino was taking place with all the family and friends just a few steps away. So I just laid there being scared until finally my husband came to bed. And as soon as he opened the door... You know, and I had been peeking in and out, in and out from the cover to see if it's still there. It was there the whole time. And when my husband came in, opened the door, and the hallway light came in, all the lights completely disappeared. And I was going, oh, my God, oh, my God, and trying to explain to him what I had seen. And he went around the room, and he looked out the window, and he was trying to help me come up with some answer of what this might have been. But neither one of us ever figured it out. So even though I was very, very scared at the time, it's actually kind of a nice little story because I think that maybe possibly my husband's mother was waiting for the end of Novena to move on her way. So anyway, thanks for listening. I'll call again. I've got lots of stories. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bonnie. I could sit here all night and toss out suggestion after suggestion as to what you might have witnessed that night. But truth be told, each idea I toss out there can be dismissed for one reason or another. My first thought was that you were simply exhausted and that caused your eyes to see lights that do not exist, which is something that's happened to me before. But, as you mentioned, your son had also seen the lights, so that theory is pretty much shot down. I also wondered if a light source was passing through some sort of crystal, something that would not only separate the light, but also intensify it. But, again, you seem to track down each light source you could find without solving the mystery. So that is why your story found its way into the Fringe file. I do not know what you experienced, but I am really glad that you chose to share it with us. Thank you once again, Bonnie. 
And that does it for this episode. I really want to thank you all for tuning in, and especially a big thank you for all those that contributed stories. Not only today, but for the past year and however many months. Without you, there is no show. So, thank you. If you'd like to join them in submitting a story, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. I've had a few calls over the past couple weeks get cut off, so please remember, each call is limited to 5 minutes. If you need more time, that's fine. Just call back and pick up where you left off. I know it's a big pain, but that's all the time the service allows per call. Please follow the show on all the social media sites. And while you're at it, please follow Cryptid Crate on Instagram, Facebook, and now, thanks to my buddy Toby, Twitter. I'm looking to get back into the local legend segment I've been toying with over the past couple months, but I want your feedback. Do you like hearing about the local legends and would like me to continue? If so, feel free to suggest a story you'd like to see featured. So in short, I can use some feedback. I want to thank the very talented Mr. Warren Pon Abbott for his vocal work on tonight's show. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Mm-hmm.